right. Man, it's been really fun being in this series. Remind me. And uh, just real quick, let me give a, a little fine print, a little disclaimer this morning. Um, actually, I'll ask you to keep my family in your prayers. Um, I, Tuesday afternoon, started coming down with, uh, I don't know, bubonic plague or something. Uh, I think it was bronchitis. And um, anyway, feeling feeling much, much better today, just a little bit congested. But my wife was actually scheduled to be up here leading worship today. And uh, she woke me up in the middle of the night. She had chills and fever and and swollen everything. And and uh, so she'll love that I told you all that. And uh, and so she had to bail out at the last minute. And um, so if you could just pray for her and and um, my daughter saying she's got a sore throat. And and uh, <clears throat> I really I feel like this is the enemy's like one thing that he can try to get us with because. Almost exactly 30 days, every 30 days for the last five months, our family has gotten a round of sickness. So this is once a month over the last five months. And I know it's kind of normal when you have kids in school and some of that stuff, but I am tired of it. All right. So uh, you could help me fix it by just praying for us and praying some protection over our home and uh, some sort of make me some sort of spiritual bubble boy. That would be um, just awesome that the germs cannot penetrate. So um, we'd appreciate that. And, uh, and, um, <clears throat> and I will try my best not to sniffle or cough into the microphone this morning. Please forgive me if it happens. All right. So have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Remind me how many of you have been, been getting something out of this. We started <clears throat> several weeks ago by talking about that our church is supposed to have some authority. We ought to be able to speak with authority. The local church should, we have, we have some authority given to us by Christ. So we should be bold, not ashamed of who we are and what our message is, and we shared our vision and our values, uh, that our vision here is to, to see as many people as possible have a, be led to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of him, and that we have some values here that are very important to us, and that's to be authentic, relevant, accepting, enjoyable, and powerful. And then a, a week later, we shared our mission statement and, uh, and a little cheer that goes with it. And I, I just wouldn't be right if I didn't test it out again this morning to see if you remember it or not. So, so everybody, if you remember, help me out. Come on, say fine. Oh, that's pathetic. Come on. That is the saddest thing I have ever. Y'all need another coffee break? Go fill your cups back up so you can. Come on now. Let's try it again. Fine. 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 All right. It was okay. It, like on a scale of one to ten. It was like a 5.9, all right? So you're better. You're better than that. Dig deep, all right? Get, 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 your, get your man voice on, all right? You ready? Fine. 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 There you go, everybody. Now you got you to put the cheer at the end of it, too. You got to get excited. All right, yeah, love it. Love hearing our life team do that cheer. They do it every Sunday before they get ready to serve you in this service and, uh, and it's because that's who we are. It's what we believe in, that we want to create environments where anyone can find friends, find God, find life. And, uh, and then last week we talked about what it means to be a partner here, a path to partnership, and uh, just a, a great time together hanging out. And so I'm really fired up about today because today is a little bit different. In fact, I would describe today if, if all of those things that we've talked about so far are the package or, or go in the package, what we're talking about today is the packaging. It's the, it's the box and the, and the wrapping and everything that, 
that holds it all together, and it's our philosophy of ministry. And what you've probably heard said around here several different times is that we're a life-giving church. And, and uh, if you hear it in passing, you might think it's just a catchphrase or maybe it means we try to be nice people, which th- that is true. I mean, we don't want to be mean and nasty. Excuse me for one second. Really awesome today. It's going to be really fun. And uh, it's not. It's much more than that. There's some history to those words. Um, there's some, some biblical uh, scripture that kind of goes along with that. And, and I would call it our philosophy of ministry. In fact, even more than that, it's what I've tried to make my philosophy of life. And I hope that as I share this with you this morning, you'll consider doing the same thing. And uh, it's going to change your life, if you will. Before I get into that real quick, would you just help me welcome anybody who's, who's a guest with us for the very first time hanging out at True Life together. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for being here. And uh, I want to give some props out to all of you who took the step after last week's message about being a partner, finding your gifts, finding your talents, using them for the kingdom. Heard we had a great turnout at Lifetrack 201 last week. Thank you all for, for being faithful and showing up to be there. Want to encourage you, maybe you couldn't make it last week, but you're free tonight. We've got Lifetrack 301, which is, this is, that's really what the 301 is about, is figuring out what God is kind of heating up in you right now, what he's stirring up, what are you good at, gifted at, what is your personality style, and uh, how can you use that in the kingdom uh, to build the kingdom and win people to Jesus and listen, not everybody has to be the, the super outgoing, stand on the corner, witness to everybody guy. You don't have to be that to have an impact and win people to Jesus. There's a lot of people that do things here that you'll never see behind the scenes, and they prefer it that way, but they know they're still sowing seed into the kingdom. So we just want to help you find your niche, your 10 spot, and uh, you, can, you can be there tonight. Kristen Brownlee will be there teaching it. She does an outstanding job, and you should go. All right, if you've never been, it's going to be fun. All right, so this week what I want to do is remind ourselves what our philosophy of ministry is here, what it means to be a life-giving church. And like I already said, it's kind of the packaging around the package. And uh, we've already talked about John 10.10 where Jesus says the result of relationship with him. A couple weeks ago we talked about that, that the result, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life more abundant or a rich and satisfying life or life to the full. And and, uh, so we believe our mission as a church is to help people find that life I want to share another scripture with you here that speaks to that life, speaks to eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, and it says, And this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. That's Jesus. Whoever has the Son has what? Yeah, all right. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Simple. So our, our, whole, our whole philosophy here is how do, we, how do we put the life that we have, because we have the Son, we have Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with Jesus, how do we put that life on display and impart that life to people who don't have it yet? And so what I want to do is we're going to go all the way back to this movement of being a life-giving church started a long, long, long time ago. And it came out of what I'm going to share with you today. And we're going to look at a couple different pieces of scripture. I'm going to draw, what I'm going to do is draw some tension and some comparisons between what it's like to 
be life-giving and what it's like not to be life-giving. In fact, we see that tension drawn in Scripture by looking at two different kinds of trees. I know that sounds weird, but we're going to go all the way back to the very beginning, the story of man, Adam and Eve, because you all know what happened. Something happened with a tree, and it didn't turn out so well. So let's rewind, because I want to show you the battle that's been going on Since the very beginning, it's still the battle that's going on today. It's still the same tactic that the devil is using to try to rob you and I of the life that we're supposed to have in Christ. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It says, but the Lord God warned him, who? Adam. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of of good and evil. Now, I just want to pause there for a second because it's important that we know what the Scripture says. This is one of those that as you, if you grew up in church or even if you hadn't, <clears throat> you've heard the story enough, the name of this tree often gets misinterpreted or accidentally changed. And so some people call it just the tree of knowledge. That's not correct. Some people call it the tree of good and evil. That's not correct. The correct name is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's important to know the difference. You're going to see it here in just a little bit. Except the tree of knowledge, and you may eat freely. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. Bad news, Adam. Like, seems like a pretty clear instruction, right? This seems very, very simple, like, Okay, I can do whatever I want. I just can't eat the fruit on that tree. Simple. Piece of cake. Got it. Seems like simple instructions, but something happens. Let's look at, I'm going to look at a long passage of Scripture here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Hang with me as we read through it. The serpent. Who's the serpent? Come on, somebody knows. Who's the serpent? It's the devil. All right. When you say the devil, you've got to say it like, like you got a little bit of, you know, it's the devil, all right? That's how you got to say it. Football's the devil, Bobby. All right. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see what he did there? You see the trick? Did he really say you can't eat any of the fruit? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God. If you're using the the YouVersion app or, or taking notes, I would... I would uh, just make reference of, of a couple of these places in the scripture. Your, your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. That, that's important. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Why? Because it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. Now, 
at times in the past, I always thought like maybe Eve went and she ate the fruit and then she came back to the, I don't know, wherever you live when you're the first humans and you are running around unclothed and everything. So and so maybe she comes back to the to the house with the, hey, eat this, and then he eats it. But no, he's with her. He's there. So she eats it first, then she hands it to him, and he ate it too. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Do you see that? The, the devil didn't even lie to her. He said, your eyes will be open. What happened? She ate it. It says their eyes were open. And she, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And listen to what God says. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And Adam, like any good man, any man of the house, any pastor of the home, he mans up and he says, God, I've messed up. I blew it. No. It was her. (laughs) He, He actually does a double here. He says, it was the woman you gave me. who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what, what have you done? What's she do? She takes responsibility. No. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. I want you to take note of a couple of things here as we dive into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to notice that, that Satan did not try to get Eve to rebel against God. That wasn't the plan. He didn't show up and say, come join my team. In fact, what he actually did is appealed to her desire for good and wisdom and was able to trick her into disobedience that way. An appearance of godliness without life. Without life. And the same battle is happening today in many of our lives, many people get stuck trying to maintain an appearance of godliness. But if we were to really open up our hearts and tell the truth this morning, there's no life there. There's no life there. It's easy to make the mistake that Adam and Eve made in the name of good, focusing on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because we even live in a culture that exalts what? Knowledge. What makes this town go? It's the 26,000 plus students who pay a lot of money for knowledge. And I'm not saying that all knowledge is evil, but it it was that desire for knowledge, that desire for wisdom that ultimately led Adam and Eve into disobedience. And it turns into this in the Christian walk. In, in, the, in the local church sometimes, here's the, here's the transformation that can take place. 
we actually begin to, if we start focusing on the tree or if we start living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we can actually start to develop attitudes like, like I'm more holy and I'm a better Christian if I go to church more. Like I don't feel good about myself, so I need to up my church attendance. If I can just get my church attendance up to this level, then, I'll find, then maybe God will be happy with me. Does it work? No, it doesn't work. Maybe it, maybe it manifests itself this way. If, if I can make my acts of service more visible, like, like, you know, no, 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 no. I don't have any desire to, uh, to make coffee for people unless, oh, you're videotaping this week and you're going to make a big deal about people who's, oh, I would look. And it can manifest itself. Why? Because it's the, I want to show that I have, I have an awareness of what's good. If my acts of service are more invisible, if I can point out the sins and the flaws of others, that's living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a love for knowledge or being right that has led the church throughout history towards doctrinal splits and fights. Do you know we have denominations in, in the world today, in our country today, who they, they split and became two different sections of the church because one of them said we should clap in church, and the other one said, no clapping. And they literally let it take them to the point where they said, okay, that's it. We're right, you're wrong. We're gonna go start the clapping church. You, you people have the not clapping. I mean, how ludicrous is that? But it's happened. We have entire splits over, is it once saved, always saved, or saved, lost, saved, lost, born again, again. And, and we have entire denominations and churches that have, that have broken away because it's become so important to be right about one nuance of theology and doctrine. And so we give up on agreeing on the essentials, that Jesus is the Son of God, that the Bible is the Word of God, that we must be born again, and that, that believers can be spirit-filled and spirit-led. And we allow those things to divide us. We have arguments about which way is the right way to baptize. Do you just sprinkle water? Sprinkle, sprinkle. Or do you dunk them, babe? I'm for dunking because if you're dealing with a church member who's misbehaved, you can do spiritual discipline and baptism all at the same time. You gonna do that again? I'll keep you down there a little longer, son. I'm kidding. I would never do that. Much. We have, we have splits over, can a Christian have a demon or not? I mean, literally, whole, whole entire splits over this. Is it possession or is it oppression? Is there, can you even have spiritual attack if you're a true Christian? I mean, can the devil even really mess with you? We have entire splits over, should everyone get instant healing? Like, if you're really a believer, if you're really saved, you would never get sick. Entire splits. And listen, I'm not, I'm not saying you can't believe. I'm sick, so I but I'm, I'm relatively certain I'm saved. But you can believe that if you want to. We're just gonna stick to the four essentials here. Here's the, here's the attitude that we could have. And this is what's developed. Instead of saying, I think the scripture points this way, and another says, yeah, but I kind of think it points this way. And what mature believers ought to be able to do is say, well, we both agree on Jesus bringing salvation and life, Right? Yeah, I agree on that. Okay, let's just hang out there. 
Let's just focus on that. Let's find unity in that and make a difference together. And I just want to give a warning this morning because religion never stops being a battle that we fight, ever. It'll never stop being a battle that we fight. And here's the warning that I want to give this morning to anyone who's been following Christ for any period of time. Anytime we defend a non-essential piece of doctrine or a ministry method more passionately than we fight to keep people out of hell, religion has crept in and we are living in the wrong tree. Let me say it again. Anytime we defend a non-essential piece of doctrine or a ministry method more passionately than we fight to keep people out of hell, religion has crept in and we're living in the wrong tree. We're living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's a deception. The lie that the enemy gets us to believe is that knowledge of good and evil will bring you closer to God, and it won't. It won't work. It's an unattainable standard. How do we end up there? What's the result? And what are the characteristics? So, so how do you know? How do you know? If maybe, I mean, I don't want to, you say, I don't want to be that. Michael, I don't want to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How do I know if I'm there? Or how do I know if I'm headed there? Well, I want to give you a couple characteristics that will help you figure it out. Here's the first one. It's victimization. God said, hey, what happened? Adam says, I'm the victim. I'm the victim. She gave me, you brought the woman, God. And she, she, she gave me the fruit. I'm the victim here. And when we become victims, we go through a few steps. Here they are. Here's the first one. We blame God. We actually blame God for the error and the sin in our lives. And we think, I'm, I'm inherently good. It can't be my fault. No, we're, we're not inherently good. The Bible says we're born sinners. And it actually, it actually can be that we made a bad choice, we made a bad decision. Here's the next one, we blame others. What did Adam do? First he said, you gave her, it was her, it's her, her fault. What's Eve do? She blames the serpent. Victimization means we, we, we get ourselves in a mindset where we're looking to place blame for everything in our lives that doesn't add up for us. Here's the most dangerous one I think is when you get to the place where you start to blame yourself. You start to blame yourself. And I'm not talking about never having personal responsibility. I think personal responsibility is incredibly important. But the cycle of self-blame leads to a cycle of self-condemnation. And I actually think that is demonic. It leads to works of the flesh. And, and ultimately, it leads us to the second characteristic after victimization, and that's shame. Shame. Shame causes us to try to hide. Shame causes us to try to put on the facade while secretly there's a sin that nobody else knows about and we don't want anybody to know what's really going on in our lives. And if we deal with shame long enough, the things that will develop in our lives are these three things. Here's the first one, a religious spirit. A religious spirit. What a religious spirit does is it works to cover up the sin in our lives with religion. This is actually the truest form of being a hypocrite because we try to maintain the appearance of someone who's got it all together, who's very spiritual, who's very deep. Well, secretly in our hearts, there's, it's just nothing's working. There's no life. Here's the next one that develops. In shame, we become works-focused. 
works focused. In other words, I'm getting my self-worth from the things I do. And the problem with that is that the standards are so high, you will always fail. You'll always fail. Here's the last one that happens in shame that, that develops in our lives as we become critical of others. Critical of others. We get to a place where we start noticing other people's sin. And it's not just that, but we start insisting on punishment. Do you know what so-and-so, can you believe, can you believe that? I can't believe they let that guy on the stage. Can I just tell you, if you knew some of my history, some of my past, you might ask the same thing about me being on stage. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I think everybody in the room here is probably a sinner, unless you're Jesus, in which case I'm really nervous about preaching in front of you. Welcome to true life. All right. So we start to notice other people's sin and we insist on punishment. I I had a conversation recently that really got me thinking about this and really kind of honestly examining some stuff and just trying to make sure I had my heart and attitude right on this. And I was hanging out with a, a guy who had really gone through some significant transformation like God had really, really done some powerful stuff, and uh, and this person said to me, hey, um, <clears throat> like during the season of my life where I was being really dumb and making a lot of mistakes, you should have punished me like a lot. You shouldn't have let me even be involved at the church and been in any kind of position doing anything, and I can't understand why <laughs> you kept letting me be there. And you know, my first response, my initial response was, well, I just want to give grace. Like, God has given me so much grace, who am I to not extend grace to others? And that's true, but you know, the more I thought about it, and really what I felt like the Holy Spirit revealed to me is that this thing that he's done in my heart is this, and this might shock some of you when, I, when you hear me say it, but I, I, you just need to know, I'm not ashamed of sin in the church. It doesn't bother me. What? Now, if we had like a leader do something really dumb, would we deal with that? Would there be discipline? Absolutely. Could somebody really embarrass our church? Could something happen that would be bad and show up in the news? Would that be tough to deal with? Yes, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that we ought to have messy people here. We ought to have some mess going on in our lives And it just doesn't frighten me that there will be people involved in serving here who are still trying to figure out what it means to serve Jesus. I'm just not ashamed of it, guys. Are you you with me? Is that making sense this morning? Like, I almost wear it as a badge. Like, I want to have a church where we can just be real about the fact that, you know what, I haven't figured it all out yet. I probably make some mistakes. I'm probably going to mess up. And so I'm just not ashamed of it. I don't ever want to be that place where we become critical of others, where we're always looking at others through the lens of, are you good? Are you, are you hitting all the check boxes on the list? Because then what we're doing is we're playing the part of the Holy Spirit and we're robbing him of his ability and opportunity to come in and work on people's hearts. See, God went looking 
for Adam and Eve. Our philosophy being life-giving keeps us connected to the idea that God is working through us, his church, to go looking for the Muslim, to go looking for the homosexual, to go looking for the drug addict, to even go looking for the politician. Like, this will blow your mind. Do you know Jesus loves Democrats and Republicans? He even loves those pot-smoking libertarians. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's true. He loves them. And he has chosen us. He has chosen to work through us. What a God. God didn't show up in the garden looking to swing the axe or bring the crushing blow. He, sh- he, was lo- he went looking for Adam. He was looking for Adam. And God has chosen to work through us to look for the people who are lost. Come on, does that resonate with you this morning? We've got to be careful not to live in the tree of, God, of the knowledge of good and evil. What's the other option? On one hand, we've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is that, that place where religion takes over. And I just want you to picture with me this morning, if you can, that we've got another option, another tree that we can choose to live our lives in. It's called the tree of life. We know what life in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looks like, but what about the other option? I want to show you a scripture this morning that I think speaks to what happens if we can choose to live in the tree of life. And you're going to actually see, this is crazy, our church is in the book of Revelation. Watch. Revelation 22, verse 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clearest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. Now listen to this. The leaves were used for medicine, for what? To heal the nations. Church, if we live in the right tree, can I just tell you, if we choose to live in the tree of life, if we can maintain this philosophy of being a life-giving church, there's an anointing that comes with that. And it opens the door to the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. It opens the door for the healing, for the broken. The the songs like we sing this morning, they're not just songs anymore. They're actually a story that we're getting to write together. So what's the characteristics of living in the tree of life? Here's the first one. Innocence. Innocence. A clear mind. A clean conscience. Hey, everybody. No guilt. No guilt. Yeah, but you, you, you don't know how, how bad I, I messed up. Yeah, but G- Jesus fixed all that. Stop, stop living under guilt and condemnation. But I just did it last night. Okay. Talk to Jesus about it. He's going he's gonna to forgive you. Get some accountability around it. Get some people in your life. Maybe change some relationships. Change some friendships. Live in innocence. I love what George Washington Carver said about being bitter. You know, some of us have some valid reasons to be upset and bitter and and give away our innocence. But listen to what 
George Washington Carver said, he said, I'll never let another man ruin my life by making me hate him. By making me hate him. In other words, I choose to maintain innocence. I'm going to stay there. I don't have to always point out what's right and wrong about everyone and everything. I'm just going to stay in a place of innocence. Why is innocence important? Because in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking about a bunch of little kids who are running and jumping all over him. And he says that, that heaven actually belongs to those of us who come to him like little children. What, what's, what's great about little children? Innocence. Innocence. They, they'll say things they don't know they're not supposed to say. And you just go, ha, huh. innocence. I've, I've got, serious, I've got a friend who, who's in our church who's, he's been serving Jesus for a long time. And he'll, he'll say this a lot. He'll say, I just, I don't get offended. I don't get offended. The first couple times I heard him say that, I thought, right, everybody gets offended. But then I thought, no, what if, what if maybe you could actually get to the place of maturity in, in your walk with Christ where you really just kind of go, eh, they just don't know any better. Innocence. Innocence. Can I just tell you, that is a much more freeing way to live your life. Instead of carrying around all the garbage every time somebody does something or says something you don't like, and letting it wear you down and wear you out. What if we just, I'm going to stay in a place of innocence. They didn't know that was going to hurt. hurt. They're dealing with something in their own life. I'm going to stay in a place of innocence. You know, we laugh at little kids when they do silly things. But they're not as funny when they get older, are they, parents? Why? Because the more you know, the more you hide. The more you know, the more you hide. And the more we live in that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the more victimization, the more shame, the more hiding. But if we can live in the tree of life, we can be in a place of innocence. We don't have to hide anything. We don't have to be ashamed of anything. We don't have to be the victim. We don't have to pass the blame. We can be in a place of innocence. Here's the second characteristic of living in the tree of life. It's sincerity. Sincerity. I would say it to you this way. You can be who you really are without trying to hold up the appearance of a super Christian. This is the opposite of hypocrisy, sincerity. In a life-giving environment, we help create a place where you can just be sincere about who you are and where you really are. So like when in our church, when somebody says, hey man, are you doing okay? You all right? That is not your cue to revert back to the old traditions of religion and living in victimization and shame and just put on the face and say, yeah, everything's fine, everything's cool. No, that's your opportunity to say, actually, if you want to pray for me, I'm really struggling with this, 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 and this. And guess what? We're going to do it. We're going to pray for you. We're going to lock arms together. We're going to be a family together. We're going to give life to each other. Come on, somebody. Let's live in a place of sincerity. Here's the last characteristic of living in the tree of life. It's called freedom. Freedom. Galatians 5.1 says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. 
And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. God wants you free, not in bondage. Religion will always make it about the law. Relationship will always make it about freedom. I want to be free, somebody. I want to live my life in freedom. So we know what these two things look like. We know the options. We've got the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know what that's like, victimization and shame. We've got the tree of life. We know the characteristics of being there, that, that it's, that it's uh, innocence and sincerity and freedom. So obviously, I think at this point, I hope all of us are going, I want that one, all right? Can we, <laughs> I just want to make sure. We all in agreement, tree of life. How many, of all wanna, how many want to be in the tree of life this morning, everybody? All right, all right, good, okay. So, so we all want to be in the tree of life. So how do we do that? What's the practical steps that we take as a church? And, and really even more than that, you know, this doesn't work if we only practice these things on Sunday mornings. What I want you to do this morning is make a commitment, make a decision. Hey, I want to be life-giving with the way I live my life. I want this to be my philosophy of living, not just the philosophy of the church I attend, and it's really about how we respond to things. That's how we figure out what steps we're gonna take if we're gonna be life-giving people. And here it is, here's our response. Number one, we must respond to sin with life. Respond to sin with life. And I, I, I just have to say, this one was hard for me. Growing up the way I grew up, being in some of the environments I was in church, I always thought that our response to sin was to get mad and yell at somebody. Tell somebody about the sin. So-and-so sinning. You know, we would, you have those conversations where you, you know you're gossiping and you know you, that's really what you're doing, but everybody in that circle wants to feel less guilty about gossiping, so they use certain phrases to like I really wish so and so wasn't you know struggling so much with her boyfriend you know I I you know I just happened to drive by and saw that they were he was still at her house at one in the morning and so I just happened to notice <laughs> now let's Let's respond with life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He's enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not, not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. I don't want death. I want life. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives what? Come on, everybody. The Spirit gives what? Life. So when we, guess what? We don't have to be scared of sin. We don't have to freak out around sin. Jesus wins, everybody. He wins. It's settled. It's finished. See, when we're around sin, we don't have to respond in fear. We don't have to respond with anger. I understand God hates sin. God does feel anger towards sin. And you and I can have a righteous indignation towards sin. There's nothing wrong with that. But we can hate sin and still keep a pure attitude and respond with life towards the person who's fallen in sin. Let me illustrate it to you this way. If two women were at an abortion clinic, and they were there to protest and hopefully change what's going to happen, the woman who lives in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
She is there putting on display her hatred for the abortionist. Well, the person who lives in the tree of life is there putting on display her love of the unborn. Do you see the difference? There's a difference, everybody. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life. And I would say this, our response to sin reveals which tree we're living in. That rhymed, didn't it? I didn't mean for that to rhyme when I wrote it. Your response to sin reveals which tree you're in. All right. I'm a regular old Dr. Seuss up here. You know, Jesus, I think of that story when Jesus, they come to Jesus with the woman caught in adultery, and they want to stone her. They got the rocks ready, and they throw her down in front of Jesus, and you know, a lot, there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of assumption about what Jesus does next because the scripture says he, he bends down and he just starts to write in the sand, in the dirt. He begins to, to write. And some people think he's writing scripture. Uh, some people think he's writing out the sins of those who wanted to stone her. But I, I can't help but wonder, what if he's just like doodling Because Jesus isn't shocked by sin. See, they threw the woman in front of her, and they wanted the reaction from Jesus. Jesus, can you believe what she's been doing? She was, in a, she was caught in adultery. Jesus is just like, hey, whichever of you has never sinned before, you go ahead and get it started. And they drop the rocks, and they walk away. What if he's just displaying that? He's not, he's not shocked by sin. It doesn't scare him. You say, well, what are you saying, Michael? Anything goes? There's no moral standards? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not rejecting any moral standard at all. But I just think God's word and a pure attitude can take care of it better than I can. Did you catch that? God's word and a pure attitude will move people closer to him than me trying to fix everything. So let's respond to sin with life. Here's the second response we've got to have if we want to be be life-giving. We must approach God through relationship, not rules. Approach God through relationship, not rules. I used to think that I could get close to God by doing things a certain way. I had my checklist. I had my, my, man, if I, okay, if I can pray 15 minutes, that's my New Year's resolution. Somebody help this brother, man. Good grief. I'm preaching way better than you are listening for sure. Give me an usher down here. Ushers. Ushers. All right. I used to think I could get close to God by doing things a certain way. Guess what? It did not work. You know why? Because you can't find him through religious creed or code. It, it doesn't happen there. We've got to respond to God Through relationship, not through rules. Respond to God through relationship, not through rules. I would say this. I've encouraged some people in our church who feel called into ministry, full-time ministry, different things. Maybe you should consider not going the traditional path of Bible college. And I know I always ruffle some feathers with parents and different things whenever I, I say that, but you know what, in my experience happens, and, and more and more as I talk to people, I find this to be true, that most death occurs in Bible school. 
You know why? Because it appeals to our desire for knowledge. So we have people that, now there are exceptions. I just want to say there are exceptions. Our drummer went to Bible school. He's a trustee here. He's a really sharp guy and loves Jesus a lot. All right, so that's David Austin, everybody. You are the, you're the exception. (laughs) Thanks for not dying there. Because it just, it appeals to our, our, our craving for knowledge. John chapter 5, 39 to 40. Jesus said this. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. He said, but the scriptures are pointing to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Let me give you some indicators on how you're approaching God. This will help you decipher whether or not you're approaching God through relationship or approaching God through rules. Here we go. Your prayer life. In the tree of life or knowledge of good and evil? Like when I talk to God, is it out of duty and code or is it because I just love him and I want to talk to him? Do you see the difference? Bible reading, burden or privilege? It should be privilege, guys. It should be that I get to get into God's word and hear what he wants to say to me. Church attendance, get to or have to? It's a get to. It's got to be a get to. If you live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, stuff that looks right sometimes will look even better. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to burn out because there's no life there. Let me say it to you. Let me make it as simple as I possibly can. Both trees have some fruit, and both fruit looks good. And even on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit can taste really good. And it's like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has nice apples. But you know, I'm a food guy. The tree of life, that baby has caramel apples. And there ain't nothing better than a good caramel apple. You know what I'm saying? With the, the car and the nuts on there. I better slow down. I can't have that right now. Two more weeks. Caramel apple. All right. I can have an apple, though. Can we just be a church that chooses to stick with the caramel apples, everybody? Can we do that? Let's just live in the tree of life. Let's have caramel apples. Let's keep it sweet. It's going to be good. Approach God through relationship, not through rules. Here's the last one. Here's our last response. Guard your heart from going back. Guard your heart from going back. Because you see the temptation is kind of, we can, these two trees are there. These two options are there. We can kind of turn into a monkey swinging back and forth. Today I'm life-giving. Today you ticked me off. I'm going over here, you know. Some of us live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil while we're driving. You know what I'm saying? That's where I, I'm, honestly, that's where I'm like, I want to be in the knowledge of good and evil right now. My wife says that I think I'm God's gift to drivers. I said, I don't think, baby, I know. Nobody can hang with me. You know the thing about a monkey, man? From the distance, they're cute. But if you get up close to one, those little dudes, they're actually kind of disgusting. And they smell and they play with their poop. So don't do that. Don't be a monkey. 
Because from a distance, you'll look like you got the whole, you look all like a cute, cuddly little Christian, but when anybody gets close enough to know the real you, you stink. Let's live in the tree of life. Let's guard our hearts from going back. You'll be tempted to get mad. You'll be tempted to be bitter. You'll be tempted to be critical. You'll be tempted to be religious. But I'm saying to you this morning, man, let's guard our hearts. Guard our hearts against that. The devil wants you focused on criticism. He wants you to come to church and think, was the volume of the sound system right today? What about the temperature in that movie theater? Did they, did they, have, did they get the roof fixed yet? Or is it, they're ever going to stop leaking in there? And, and did I get to sit in my favorite spot and, and recline in my special chair? How others acted, it just kind of, something just bothered me today. Everybody was acting funny at church. That's where the enemy wants you to live, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where you're noticing all of that stuff. The pastor looked at me funny. That's because you're funny looking. I can't help that. Not my fault. Talk to Jesus about that. Come in here with your donut smeared all over your face. Clean up. I won't look at you funny. I'm just kidding. Here's the big test today. Because all of us, right now, we're thinking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're thinking about the tree of life. And every single one of us is in one of two places. We're either thinking about ourselves and trying to decide. Trying to decide, God, which, which tree am I living in? Am I in the knowledge of good and evil? Or, or am I living life in the tree of life? Am I life-giving? Or... Some of us are thinking about somebody else. And we're thinking, man, so-and-so needs to get in the tree of life. Here's the problem with that. If you're thinking about anybody but you, you're in the wrong tree. And that's the test. That's the test this morning. So let's just be honest with ourselves. Which tree am I in? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life.